we're on that one. That one. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, no, good. Rusty? Oh, for sure. Go have fun. Let me know how it is. Have a great time. <laughs> Get the ball! <laughs> grab it! Grab the ball! Why isn't Madison in the game? They're rotating all the second graders through. Yeah, I know, but there could be scouts here. You know you're right. Go tell Coach how we feel. Oh, Go. I will. Target's on my six. Red lightning, what you got? Over. I have her in sight. She's pulling in the driveway now. I thought we were using the radios. What? Huh? Hey, Kobe, we're right here, hey, buddy! Sweetie. Hey, That's our kid! Get in here, buddy! Oh, honey, hey, he doesn't hear oh. you. I, I, I got this, okay? Hey, Kobe! Snack already. Oh my goodness, freshman, you're such a big deal. Oh, you're so cute. Show of hands if you can relate to that. Come on, at all of our campuses, show of hands if you can relate to that. I can relate to that both as a parent and as a child. Right? Like, I am guilty of so many of those things yelling affirmation out the window to being a psycho on the sidelines of the sports game. Uh, and I was raised by those parents. Anyone else, you were raised by those parents? I once was uh, interviewed after a game my junior year of basketball. I had a good game, and afterwards the local news wanted to interview me. At this time, I was struggling with a pretty significant speech impediment, and one of my issues was eye contact. I couldn't look people in the eyes, and so I would always put my head down, and I would mumble. And so they're interviewing me on camera, and I'm botching the interview. And there on camera stretches in an arm and my mom lifts my head up. How amazing is that? I will say my mom did that often growing up and it put attention on our relationship. But there's no doubt, my goodness, there's no doubt. I don't stand up here today if I didn't have a persistent mom. I think sometimes as kids we we get embarrassed because of the love and the intentionality and the persistence of our parents. But anyone just thankful they had an active parent? They weren't perfect, but aren't you just thankful for that? And um, maybe you're a young person and at times you feel embarrassed by your parents. Give them grace. Just know there's going to come a point where you're going to say, my goodness, I'm glad they were active. Amen. We're so excited for you guys to join us. And we have so much to talk about and we have a lot going on. And uh, I, I do want to welcome all of our campuses. Welcome to the party. Welcome to week one of Raising Parents. And I want all of you at all of our campuses to welcome my friend Anthony to the platform. Can we welcome Anthony to the hey platform? Guys. Hey, guys. Glad to be here. Anthony is the real deal. Uh, he is a musician. And he is also a bit of an artist. And he built sandcastles. In fact, we have some of his work behind us. Check this out. Is that not pretty impressive? But my favorite thing about Anthony is he is a Northview family member. He belongs to our church, and he just serves in so many different capacities here at our church. Anthony, which campus are you at? I'm from the Kokomo campus, and I'm super excited to be here with you guys. Awesome. <laughs> Multi-talented. In addition to sandcastles, give us something else about yourself. Uh, about a year ago, I helped form an 80s cover band, and we've done 22 shows in the last year. Come on, any 80s music? Yeah. You like 80s music? Favorite song to play? How many of you guys remember MTV when they actually played music videos? <laughs> well, one of my favorite songs is one of the very first videos that came out on MTV. It's a Twilight Zone by Golden Earring. Came out in 1982. Come on, that's pretty good. Well, guys, Anthony's going to do his thing, and uh, we are going to test your attention span. I'm going to speak. He's going to do his deal. And hopefully some of you brought a fidget spinner so you can try to just stay dialed in. Uh, but we are excited about this. And again, shout out to the Kokomo campus. Thank you guys for sharing Anthony with us. Typically, he'd be on your platform leading worship. And uh, we're just excited about what God is doing here at our church. And we're in a season of momentum. I mean, last week, church, we had over 19,000 people join us for Easter as we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. Is that not outstanding? 
The week before that, we had the kickoff of our first initiative in which we had our first offering. And we said, hey, together, let's just pray and let's just discern what God is putting on our heart and what would happen if we kicked this initiative off with an offering where we all gave our first and our best. And church, do you wanna know what we did as a church two weeks ago? Come on, drum roll on your legs at all of our campuses, drum roll. As a church across all of our campuses, we gave $3.3 million. That is insane. That's insane. And uh, we are so just thrilled over the next few weeks to begin sharing with you how that is accelerating some of the projects and initiatives and how we as a church are advancing the kingdom of God and utilizing those resources. And so church, way to go. Way to go. This is just amazing. Well, we are in this series, or kicking it off today, called Raising Parents. The idea is kids are going to be kids. You want know, raising some knuckleheads? <laughs> kids are going to be kids. So parents need to be parents. You know, one thing about Northview that I am just very vocal about and extremely biased in is I believe that we... Well, I just, I just don't know of a church that offers for families what Northview offers for families. I mean, it is astonishing, and I'm not biased because I'm a pastor. I'm biased because I'm a parent. I'm still very new to the Northview family. I haven't even been here a full year. And I find myself week in and week out just astonished by all of our children's staff, all of our youth staff, and all the volunteers, hundreds, thousands of volunteers who make our programming happen every single week for our children. It is amazing. And one of the things that is exclusive to Northview, and in fact it was developed here by our team led by Kurt Broadbeck, is the family framework. And I don't know about you guys, but I can't even talk about it without just getting the feeling that emotions are welling up in me. I mean, we do Bible dedications. I've never seen that before. Where we literally prioritize it and we bring children and their family up here on the platform and we commission them with the word of God. It's amazing. One of my other favorite things that the family framework offers is this mother-daughter run. What they do is the mother and the daughter come together and beforehand the mom takes time to write the daughter a letter. And in this letter, she goes into great detail as to what makes her daughter beautiful, inside and out. They have this entire conversation about identity and who you are in Christ and what is the true definition of beauty and why you're so precious in the sight of our God. And at the end of this conversation, both mom and daughter do a mud run. And they run around our property and they get covered in mud as if to say it's not the outward appearance that defines true beauty. It is what is in you. Is that not just the most beautiful, just amazing thing? I love that. We have a mother-daughter run coming up over the next few months. And I would just say if you have not participated and got your kids involved in the things taking place here at Northview, as a parent, just take my word for it. You should get them plugged in. I promise you, you will not be disappointed. And the team leading these efforts are second to none. They are the gold standard, amen? I just love this conversation of parenting. I find that it's something that I'm passionate about, but it's something that I'm really eager to learn. I'm trying to get better at this. You ever found that to be the case? I don't know what it's like in your household, but I find that Kristen and I, parenting together, oftentimes are having very different experiences. In fact, we even think about parenting at times very differently. Maybe throughout today's conversation, you will find yourself thinking about parenting different than I do. And that's okay. If anything, my hope is that you would look at maybe how we approach parenting and consider, hey, what is our approach to parenting? But I find that even with Kristen and I, sometimes we, we see things differently. One day I woke up and I had the thought in my mind, I'm gonna be a great dad today. I'm gonna get the kids donuts. <laughs> to my surprise, Kristen woke up with the same thought. I'm gonna be a great mom today. 
I'm going to make the kids omelets. Those are two very different approaches, right? But it's learning to navigate this together. Also that we can raise up children of substance. Kids who understand their identity. Kids who have a life anchored in conviction and know the, the purpose and the benefit of living a life, you know, really rooted in some values. Pursuing Christ and understanding his plan for their life. But at times it's, it's a little nerve-wracking, right? At least it is for me. Kristen is cool, calm, and collective, and homegirl is thriving. This is a great mom. I still feel very clumsy. I don't know about the rest of you. It makes me think of a time Kristen and I were youth pastors, and we took some of our students to an amusement park. Now, I hate amusement parks. Too much stimulation, and I don't like rides. Kristen doesn't like rides either, but we dislike them for different reasons. Kristen doesn't like roller coasters because she gets motion sick. She actually thinks the, the rides are fun, but she gets motion sick. I think the rides are terrifying, so I don't like them. We take some students on one of these rides, and it's, it's one of those rides that drops you off a cliff and takes a picture while doing so. Here was the picture. That is my wife in the red shirt, and you can tell which one I am. Six people, everybody is having a blast but one. <laughs> we have six in our family, and sometimes I feel like that is the portrait of our household. Mom is thriving. Dad seems stressed. But nonetheless, it is a ride. It is the ride of a lifetime. And it's just learning to figure out, hey, how do we do this? And church, you don't have to be a perfect parent. In fact, there's no such thing as a perfect parent, but you can be a present parent and you can be a persistent parent. And I'm confident God will fill in the gaps. You just be present and you be persistent and the God who we serve will fill in the gaps. A lot of times I feel like we're batting 700 in our house, right? Like, I mean, you're trying hard and maybe three out of the four are doing well, but one is struggling. You ever found that to be the case? Kristen always says, a parent is only as happy as their saddest child. I think that's a pretty profound statement. One time we went to Disney with our kids, trying to have a magical moment. And most of us were, except one. We got to meet Chewbacca and check out this family photo. Again, five of us are having the time of our life, but Presley, if you zoom in on her, she is struggling. <laughs> Well, sometimes that's parenting. And sometimes, as parents, you can relate to that. You have one child who's thriving. A child who is just really excelling in life, full of joy in their purpose, and they're fulfilled. And well, then you have another child going through some things. And we can laugh at that, but as parents, we understand the tug where your heart has the capacity to celebrate and grieve simultaneously. Parenting is, well, is a challenge. But I also believe that parenting is perhaps one of the greatest privileges on the planet. And here's the deal. Whether you are a parent, grandparent, auntie, uncle, school teacher, peewee basketball coach, if you have any influence over the lives of young people, I pray that you lean into this conversation. And I do believe that regardless of whether or not you have children of your own, every single one of us, I think, can take something away from today's conversation. I think every single one of us can take something from this conversation. You see, in Scripture, a lot of times, people misinterpret Scripture because they don't understand the overarching context. And so a lot of times, people will take things out of context because they don't understand the theme or the idea or the train of thought that God is weaving his truth into. And what you need to know is, first and foremost, all of Scripture is coming at us through the filter of family. God right away says, hey, if there's any title I want to be, you know, identified with or known as, it's Father. And so a lot of times when you're reading Scripture, you have to think of it through family dynamics. This is the family. As a church, we are a family, and we belong to a much bigger family. And the family of God, at one point, was, you know, really condensed to a nation of Israel. And they were in slavery. In fact, they were in slavery for 400 years. 
400 years. Now, show of hands, if you know someone who is 400 years old. Show of hands. You ever met someone who's 400 years old? None of us have ever met somebody who is 400 years old. So when God would eventually lead the Israelites out of slavery, you have to understand this. Those who left slavery only understood and knew slavery. That's all they ever knew in life was bondage, slavery, and oppression. Some of you, you're not a Christian. And maybe you're at one of our campuses or maybe you're at one of our partnerships with God Behind Bars and you're not a Christian. And all you know is slavery, bondage, and the oppression of this world that we live in. And you've yet to experience the freedom that our God can provide. You've yet to taste and understand it. And so what you find is as, as God would lead the Israelites out of you know, Egypt, and in through the wilderness and eventually into the promised land, he would begin providing them with commandments, standards, some guidelines and some principles. And a lot of people, and I, this gets such bad press in our culture, people who have such wonky criticism of the Christian faith take this way out of context. And they look at the commands of God and they interpret it as God is some cosmic killjoy trying to rob us of our joy, rob us of our fun, take away any fulfillment and pleasure in life, and that could not be further from the truth. You see, they get out into freedom, and what becomes very clear is these people don't know how to live free lives. They don't know how to get the most out of the life God is trying to provide for them. And so God comes alongside them and says, hey, this is how you get the most out of it. And this is how you get the most out of it. And so when you read a command from God and you feel like God is demanding more of you, it's because God sees more in you. He's not trying to hold you back. He's trying to lift you up. So there's all these commands and it's really amazing. Deuteronomy hones in specifically to the homes we're creating and establishing because this group would begin to establish their own society civilization and really make a community for themselves. In Deuteronomy chapter six, verse six says this, these commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road and when you lie down and when you get up. He goes on to say, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. I mean, he's talking about creating a godly home. And my prayer, my challenge, and my agenda is to maybe push, encourage, inspire, maybe just open some of your eyes to the, the necessity for each and every one of us to try to provide our children with a godly home. Chris and I, we often ask ourselves two questions and we journal about it. And we go back on these questions often. And the first question is this, what kind of human does our home produce? Is this a person who has a, you know, just a healthy perspective and a healthy identity? Is this a person who lives with gratitude or are they succumbing to the entitlement that we see in the world? Is this a person who has got a hard work ethic and someone who lives humbly? What kind of skills are we trying to develop? What is the attitude and the character we're trying to shape? What kind of human are we producing and sending out into the world? We follow it up with this question. What kind of Christian does our home produce? What kind of Christian does our home produce? Church, what kind of Christian does your home produce? I mean, is it the type of Christian that goes out into the world as an agent of change? Someone who just brings hope and speaks life? Someone who cares deeply about the needs around them and someone who makes a difference in the life that they're living? Or is it someone who misrepresents the God that we're serving? That's why I like that statement. He says, impress them. Impress them upon your children. And my question for some is, when it comes to your faith, and how you translate that faith to your children and how you present that faith to others. Is your faith impressive or is your faith oppressive? Is it life-giving 
Is it enticing and encouraging? Or is it just a, a wet blanket in every interaction? And in this passage, there's, there's really three things that the writer of Deuteronomy is drawing our attention to. And those three things for a godly home are speech, symbols, and surroundings. And he's saying, hey, this isn't something that just happens, you know, in a lecture hall. It's not, hey, you pull your kids together and say, all right, I'm going to parent you. He's saying, no, you have to parent as you go. It's, a, it's an ongoing process, and you never really check out of it. And the first thing you have to understand is the importance of speech. Your words matter. Scripture says the, the tongue has the power of life and death. And are you speaking life over your children? Or are you unintentionally, unknowingly speaking death over your children? The person who said sticks and stones may break my bones, but words may never harm me. That person never met another human. That's just simply not the case. Words matter. My question for you is, if you were to do an audit of your conversations with your children, I mean, are you proud of those conversations? Do you see the fruit and the desired byproduct of those conversations? Or do you see a need for some adjustment? You have to have this speech. For us, we, we're constantly in dialogue with our kids. Again, I'm just gonna share with you how we are discipling our kids. Because guys, it's important to understand that it's your responsibility to disciple your kids. When it comes to your child's discipleship, church is a supplement, not a substitute. When it comes to your child's discipleship, church is a supplement. It's not a substitute. It doesn't replace the need for parental figures in their life. And it's just saying, hey, what is our approach going to be? And for us, we just look at everything as an opportunity to have a conversation. And we get to drip wisdom and faith into their life. For us as a family, we always have music playing wherever we're at. Any music junkies? I mean, it's when we wake up in the morning, music is on. When we're cooking or cleaning the house, music is on. When we are driving to the grocery store, we have music on. When we go to Lifetime, we don't even care if there's other people in the gym. We put the phone on and we play music while we're playing basketball together. We just always have on music. One day we were driving down the road, and one of my favorite artists in this season is a guy by the name of Blessing Offer. I mean, which is a pretty amazing name. Blessing Offer is from Nigeria, and he has a remarkable story. When he was young, he was struggling with vision in one of his eyes. And so his parents sent him from Nigeria to America to live with his uncle all so that he could get better medical treatment. But at the age of 10, he got hit in the head while playing with his friends. And he lost his complete sight. He's completely blind. In that season, though, he discovered his ability to sing and make music. And this individual is talented beyond measure. Like my favorite artists are not just the ones who can carry a good melody. It's the ones who can craft a good message. I just appreciate good lyrics. And he has a way of just honing a message lyrically and creatively. So we're listening to his album, and one of his songs is called Little Bird. Presley, who's three years old, yells out, Dad, play Little Bird. So we play Little Bird, and you can tell the kids are singing to it in the background. And I asked the kids, I said, hey, do you guys understand what he's talking about in this song? Do you understand the lyrics and the message? Don't just get swept away by the melody. Understand the message. And the lyrics to this song are awesome. He says, I can't catch a bird that don't want catching. I cannot make it sing its song for me. And he, what he's leaning into is freedom in Christ. And he's saying, hey, love requires a choice. And that is the brilliance behind free will. God gave us free will at a, as a, a risk on love. Because without free will, every single one of us is a robot. Every single one of us is a robot. What we fail to understand is God not only longs for us to experience his love, God longs to experience our love. And so he takes a risk by giving us free will. And he's saying, hey, I can't catch a bird that don't want catching. 
I can't force you to surrender your life to me. I can't make a bird sing its song for me. In other words, I can't make you worship me. That's a decision you have to make. He goes on to say, he says, freedom all alone. Well, well, that's a cage of its own. Everyone's trying to live a life apart from God. And he says, freedom all alone. Just know that's a cage all of its own. Freedom on your own ain't really free. No little bird, that ain't what it means. He goes on to say, and I won't take your wings. You're used to having. I just want to brush them with my hands. Freedom all alone, check this out. Well, that's a wing made out of stone. Freedom on your own, that ain't really free. No little bird, that just is not what it means. And I love this statement, check this out. He says, even freedom needs some fences. Even blue skies need the ground. And this is important, though you think it's gonna hurt. Even you, little bird, need the feeling of coming down. I love that idea. He's like, hey, I'm not trying to clip your wings. I'm just trying to put some wind beneath them. And if you were to entrust your life into my hands, the freedom that I could provide would have you soaring at levels you never thought were possible. And he says, but even freedom needs some fences. And Chris and I often joke and we say, hey, it's better to have a fence at the top of a cliff than a hospital at the bottom. Even freedom, it, it needs some fences. And though you think it's gonna hurt, even you, little bird, need the feeling of coming down. In other words, what he's saying, church, is in this life, you can either be humble or you can be humbled. But at some point, it's critical for every single one of us to discover he's God and we're not. So even blue skies need the ground. His last verse, which is my favorite verse, he says, and I don't want the colors that you're flashing. Yeah, that's what everybody sees. Freedom all alone, well, that's a way to never show anybody what's underneath. No little bird, that ain't what it means. And this is him right here. Check him out. Even blue skies need the ground. Though you think it's gonna hurt, even you, little bird, need the feeling of coming down. Freedom all alone, well, that's a cage all its own. Freedom on you come on down to me. How many of you think I should bring Blessing out to lead us in worship sometime? I think he'd be pretty great. I messaged him this week and told him I was preaching this song. And Blessing, you should come lead us in worship. We'd love to have you. But we had this conversation about freedom in Christ. And here's the talking point that we left our kids. We said, kids, know this. God's boundaries for your life are God's blessings for your life. Even freedom needs some fences. Church, you gotta hone the conversation with your children. So there's speech. In addition to that, there's symbols. And I think we are becoming so shallow in the way we think. You ever looked at that? Like, I mean, the way we think and perceive and, and discern nowadays, it's really superficial. It's, it's really shallow. And this is not a strong criticism on anybody because I've, I've discovered this in my own life. When I was 18 years old, my parents had a rule in our house, no tattoos and no earrings until you turn 18. So I turned 18, first stop was Claire's. Cubic zirconia, <laughs> big old rocks in my ears. Then I went to a tattoo shop and I was gonna get a tattoo. And that was gonna be a cross with Philippians 4.13 on it. So I go there and I sit down in the chair and he puts the print on my arm. And it was hilarious because at the time, I was not a Christian. I wasn't living for Christ. But neither were so many other people in my life who I seen wore cross necklaces, had cross tattoos, or had it as a decoration in their home. In the 90s, Christianity was still in vogue. There was a lot of cultural Christians. 
Well, now we're past that, I think, but this was the case in the 90s. So I knew a lot of people who had this symbol but really didn't understand its meaning, so I thought it was okay for me to do it as well. So I go down, I have this print on my arm. They're about to give me the tattoo. This big biker guy with a gnarly beard leans in, says a few cuss words, and with the the tattoo gun says, don't move. In that moment, I realized I still have a little PTSD from Claire's. I'm scared of some needles. And at the last minute, I back out. I said, hey, I, I, just, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. I, I'm nervous. I'm scared. So I go home. I walk in the house, and mom says, all right, let me see the tattoo. And I said, I actually chickened out. But I still have the print on my arm if you want to see it. And I pull up my sleeve, and I show my mom the print. And she says, CJ, he misspelt Philippians. Can you imagine (laughs) me being a pastor with a misspelled Bible verse on my arm? I was telling my kids that story because I said, listen, there's a profound lesson there. You always spell check your tattoo artist. (laughs) And listen, some of you have had some people put some permanent messaging on your life. I think some of you are down the road in your life because you've allowed people to label you. We had this whole conversation about, hey, guys, the cross is not a decoration. It's a declaration. It is God's declaration over humanity. I love you this much. There's meaning and there's substance and there's depth to this symbol. I love talking about this. We were recently at an art museum with our kids, and we stopped by this one picture. I think we have the picture right there. And my boy said, Dad, what's up with this one? And I said, I don't know. Well, what do you think about it? I I want our kids to start staring at things deeper. Sometimes we don't take enough time to just look deeper into things. I said, well, what do you think? Like, it looks like a sad picture. I said, well, why do you think it looks sad? My one son, Miles, who just turned nine today, Nine years old, Miles said, it looks sad to me because the tree in the front yard is dying. My son Cannon then said, it looks sad to me because her head's down. She doesn't even seem to be looking up. And then Miles came back. And he said, well, maybe she's sad because there's no one home. I said, how do you know no one's home? He said, well, if you look at the neighbor's house, the lights are on. But the house she's going home to, nobody's there. I love that. I think as parents, that's, it's kind of the goal. Can we, can we get our kids to stare deeper into things also that they can become people of substance and conviction? My son Cannon came home the other day and he said, Dad, apparently some girl at school has a crush on me. And I said, yeah, what do you think about that? He's like, I'm confused. How do you know a girl has a crush on you? I said, that's a good question. But I think the one who stares the longest feels the strongest. (laughs) And I joke about that, but that's also how I teach them to read the Bible. Hey, don't brush over this stuff. Stare at it. And if you stare at it long enough, it'll start staring back at you. One day we were talking about Peter walking on water, and I asked the kids, have you ever seen anyone walk on water? They all said no, because we've all tried it at the cabin. And we're talking about it, and it's talking about the wind and the waves. And I said to the kids, I said, you know, even if it were sunny and that water was smooth as glass, it would have been amazing to see him walk on water. The fact that he's doing it in a storm with some waves, it just makes the story better. Don't you think? I said, sometimes we overlook the author and the producer of heaven, and sometimes his ability to use storms as special effects in our life. Sometimes you're gonna go through a storm, but if you trust God, he'll use it in your story, and somehow he'll produce a story you couldn't write on your own. You have to stare deeper into the symbolism of this life. Another time we were at a worship service, and all of our kids were in the service with us together. 
We're all standing by each other and we are going after God. I mean, hands raised, we're singing, belting out the song. And my son taps me on the leg and he says, Dad. And I lean down because these are the things I live for. This is going to be a moment. And I said, what is it, buddy? And he said, Dad, you sound like a dying duck. I say that because sometimes the conversation hits and sometimes it misses. Not every conversation I have with my kids is just this really big breakthrough. Don't put me on a pedestal and misinterpret what I'm saying. There are moments where we have some pretty precious conversations. And then there are moments where instead of preaching, you're quacking. And uh, (laughs) that's just the way it is. But you have to stay with it. Speech, symbols, and the last thing is surroundings. If I were to walk into any one of your homes, I would know what you value. I would know what your hobbies are. I would know your favorite sports teams. I'm saying, what is the surroundings that you're placing your children in, first with your home and the places that you take them, and do they cultivate greater character? And do they cultivate an awareness of God? And do they cultivate an understanding of his plan for their life. This past summer, all of our plans were completely uprooted. We had all these plans for the summer. Ever since Riley Kay, our 12-year-old, was born, we have counted summers. We said, okay, we get 18 summers with this child. And so those are gonna go pretty quickly. We're gonna count summers and we're gonna plan them out strategically. And so this year for her 11th summer, we had some big plans. But I received a call prior to that from a church called Northview. And so we spent our entire summer back and forth from Indianapolis and Minneapolis beginning this process. Towards the end of it in August, I was invited out to an all-church business meeting where we had a vote and you guys received me as your new senior pastor. It was amazing. From there, we decided, hey, we we have to, that's not for an applause. Uh, We still have to get a vacation in. Kristen read somewhere that if you're going to transition your kids well, you you really have to invest into the transition. I grew up in Colorado, and I still to this day feel most at home in the mountains. So we took our kids home to Colorado. Growing up, I was was always fascinated by the timberline. If you've ever been to the mountains, you'll realize that most mountains are balding. There's a certain elevation that things stop growing, things stop living. Wildlife and plant life, most cannot live beyond a certain elevation. We got out to Colorado and I, I so badly wanted to take my kids beyond the timberline. If I'm honest, there was a part of me that was scared to death about this assignment. I'm finding myself in a season where God has entrusted me with a level of influence I never thought he would ever entrust me with. And if I'm honest, the guy I see in the mirror doesn't seem qualified. And so I'm, I'm constantly in this tension with God where your calling always has you questioning your capacity. And in some way, I, I felt like this season was moving our family beyond the timberline. So we got this four-wheeler and we made a day out of it, a whole trek beyond the timberline. And we finally made it. 13,000 feet, and here's a picture of our family beyond the timberline. Now, here's the deal. Apart from the day I gave my life to Christ, and apart from the day I married Kristen and had four children, that may not look like much to you, but that's a top five day in my life. My son, Miles, said, Dad, it would be terrifying to live up here there's nowhere to hide. And I said, buddy, ain't that the truth? Sometimes life beyond the timberline doesn't come with any places to hide. I said, uh, and it, it created this great conversation where we just said, understand this, in this life, when you're successful, people will hate it. And when you're failing, people will celebrate it. And as long as you're living for Christ, this world is gonna be hostile towards it. And people are gonna at times speak poorly about you. People are at times going to have it out for you. 
And we had this conversation about this time where King David just was on the run from people who had it out for him. And David says this in Psalms 32, verse 7. Check this out. He says, but you are my hiding place. A hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me. You surround me. Check this out. With shouts of deliverance. And so right there on the mountain, we told our kids, listen, when people speak poorly about you, you remember God speaks powerfully over you. Listen, when people speak poorly about you, you remember God speaks powerfully over you. When people try to tear you down, you remember you serve a God who's lifting you up. When people try to extrapolate your shame, you remember grace robs you of any of it. And you just remember your God speaks powerfully over you. And listen, if Christ is all you have, you have a great hiding place. And kids, you can go through anything in this life if you go through it with Christ. We finished that conversation and yeah, <laughs> golf putt. Finished that conversation, Kristen almost passed out. She was, she gets elevation sickness. We had to get her down. But, um, and, and here's the deal. I, I, I'm guessing I know what some of you are thinking. It seems like a lot of pressure. Some of these conversations you have with your kids and you're right. Here's how I think of it. Again, take it or leave it, guys. You're the child, you're the parent who God entrusted to raise your children. But I think there's a big difference between stress and pressure. And here's the difference. Stress is a burden you can't control. But pressure is a burden you can control. And have you ever discovered in life the benefit and the productivity of pressure? Pressure cookers and pressure washers, sometimes pressure helps. And I'm telling you, when it comes to honing the character of a child, pressure is a necessity. We tell our kids all the time, guys, pressure is more honest than pleasure. You can fake things when they're going well. But who are you when the pressure sets in? Who are you when your peers disagree with your convictions? Who are you when times are struggle, you know, filled with some struggles and confusions or maybe there's some pain? Is there a substance in you? And I think as parents, our job is to steward the amount of pressure on our children. As obviously, it has to be done within reason. But I do believe, church, that pressure is it's critical. And you don't want the first time your child experiences pressure to be at the age of 19. When they're moved out and on their own and now the world's coming after them. No, you gradually develop their character into a life full of pressure. You know, Jesus was, he was always putting pressure on people. He was always helping people see the potential that was in them, but the responsibility that they had to live it out. One time in Matthew chapter 6 and Matthew chapter 7, he is running the gauntlet. I mean, Jesus, the stuff he would preach about nowadays wouldn't grow much of a church. I mean, this man talks about what do you do when people hate you, and he talks about loving your enemies, and he talks about, you know, marriage and divorce, and he talks about money, a lot of talk about money. I mean, all these conversations. And then he gets to the end of it, and he says something that is so wild which again is one of those points where guys, you can't walk away from Jesus neutral. He's either God or he's a maniac. The stuff that he would say did not, you know, make him a neutral figure. He was either the son of God or this man was a cult leader who duped humanity. And he said this in Matthew chapter seven. He said, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on a rock, which the people would have been like, well, duh. Everybody knows you build your house on a rock. That's common sense. To which Jesus would be like, yeah. If you knew what I know, well, you would see that trusting me and doing what I tell you to, well, it's common sense. It's like building your house on a rock. He said, but there's another man 
And it says, and the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. Going on, it tells us, everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell and great was the fall of it. It fell and great was the fall of it. What's amazing is these two individuals experienced the same storm, yet they have very different outcomes. Have you discovered that over the last couple years? Most of us have been going through the same storms and many of us are experiencing very different outcomes. Have you discovered that your faith in Christ has caused you to endure and to even at times thrive and to grow in effectiveness in this season of turbulence while others around you seem to be collapsing? I mean, storms are, again, pressure's more honest than pleasure. And what we find is these two men had the same storm, very different outcomes. And right now what we're discovering in our world is we're all facing the same storms, but not everybody's having the same outcome. And I'm telling you, you look around and you can see who built their house on the rock. Guys, this will be one of three things for every single one of you. For some, it's a warning. Our God doesn't make threats. It's him saying, hey, just heads up. It's him not threatening you. It's him not out to get you. It's him saying, listen, I just want you to know if you continue doing this, this is what it leads to. It's a warning. For others of you, it's an affirmation. Some of you, you're looking at your marriage and how it's endured some trials. And you're looking at your family and how it remains united. And you're looking at your business and how you navigated some really turbulent times. And you're realizing, man, he's, tr he's right. When you build your house on this rock, it comes with a different stability. He's right. So for some, it's a warning. For some, it's an affirmation. Others, well, it's an explanation. And I want to say this gently, but some of you, you're coming out of a season where everything fell apart. And some of you, you're not a Christian and you're here because you're curious as to is there something that you could build your life upon? And here's the beauty is even when you hit rock bottom, you can discover he is the rock at the bottom. Someone say run it back. Even when you hit rock bottom, you can discover he is the rock at the bottom. He meets you there and he lifts you up. But for some of you, it's an explanation. You didn't have your life built on the right foundation. Which has me thinking about what Anthony's been doing over here the entire time. Guys, get up for Anthony. Look how impressive this is. He said if I gave him more time, he could have Rapunzel hanging out the window with her hair flowing down. This is pretty impressive. I mean, this is a lot of talent on display, right? A lot of times find myself looking at families and individuals and I think to myself, it's pretty impressive. You can tell that person has a lot of talent, a lot of ambition. But what's so insane about this is how fragile it is. <laughs> Which some of you, you're so disappointed. <laughs> and here's your thought. What did you just do? He just spent the last 40 minutes building that castle and you're just gonna walk over there and push it over? But here's the deal. Over the last couple years, I've seen people who spent the last 40 years building something to which a storm came and just pushed it over. Guys, I'm just telling you, there's always a storm in the forecast. There's always a storm in the forecast. And what these young people are going to face in the days to come is going to exceed anything that we ever dreamt of facing or feared facing. The challenges and the predicaments and the confusion and the pressure. And I'm telling you, if we don't pass on to them a faith in God that works, they're gonna build their houses and their lives upon faulty foundations. 
Guys, again, this is the theme throughout Scripture. It's, there's a constant conversation about raising up the next generation through the context of family and imparting wisdom also that they can thrive. That's what this next generation needs. I, guys, I'm going long, but I, I'm just, I need you to hear this. We live in the information age, and this generation doesn't need more information. They need more interpretation. They can access it, but they can't process it. And there's a big difference between knowledge and wisdom. Wisdom is knowledge applied. For example, knowledge is knowing a tomato's fruit. Wisdom is knowing not to put it in the fruit salad. Hey, that's pretty deep. My man, you write that down. There's some substance there. One time, Paul, and I'm going to end with this. Paul's talking to Timothy. He's laying out some commands again. He's reminding him, hey, do away with worldly things. You live a life full of conviction. Anchor to your values, knowing who your God is. You become a person of substance. And he says, you live as a, a vessel. Love that idea. And he says this to Timothy, and I am with this. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself from these things, do away with the worldly things, embrace what God has for you, he will be a vessel for honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. He will be a vessel. And guys, I don't know about you, but for Kristen and I, I don't want to become an empty nester and discover I raised an empty vessel. I don't want to become an empty nester and discover I raised an empty vessel. And I don't want you to become an empty nester and discover you raised an empty vessel. You impart substance, you impart wisdom, and you take the privilege and the opportunity to hone that kid's character seriously. Set them up for success, amen? amen. Can I pray with you? Yes. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just thank you for your goodness for being our firm foundation. And God, we recognize that those who stand on the word of God, they stand in the storms of life. And there is a storm in the forecast, but we can go through anything in this life if we go through it with Christ. God, help us just pour as much as we possibly can into the vessels that are around us. Help us raise children of substance to live a life that honors you and makes a difference in the world that we're living. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.